Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to New Life Online. We're just so thankful that you decided to join us today. And before we get into the message, I'd like to take a moment and just say happy Father's Day to everyone who is a father. Now, on days like this, I like to take a moment and just reflect upon really all the fathers in my life. And yeah, it's plural on purpose because as much as I love my biological dad, and he's an incredible guy, I don't know where I would be without him. He has instilled so many things in me. He has taught me so much about what it is to be a man, a father, a follower of Jesus. Wouldn't know how to do life without him. But I also think about those guys who are not my biological dad, but who have given me so much, who have trained and equipped me, who have shaped me into the man I am today. So whether you have biological kiddos or you're someone who has taken an interest in the life of others, thank you for what you're doing as you build the kingdom of God. And I'm so thankful that we get to celebrate that just a little bit today. Now, as for the message, we are in the third week of our series. It's called New Beginnings, Freedom, and Fruit. And we're walking sort of section by section, clause by clause, through the book of Galatians. Pastor Chris kicked us off a couple of weeks ago, and he showed us that not all good news is actually good. In fact, he mentioned a group of folks, they're called the Judaizers, and we see them several times throughout the book of Galatians. And they were spreading what Pastor Chris called fake good news. And what was the fake part? Well, the fake part was that in addition to Jesus, you had to follow the entire Jewish law. That was the fake part. And that's simply not true. And Paul, in his letter, is, is addressing that repeatedly over and over again. Last week, Pastor Alex reminded us that Jesus is actually all that we need for salvation. And as we come into relationship with Jesus, as we are believers, as we're born again, as the Bible says, the Holy Spirit, by His power, changes and transforms us into an entirely new creation. So as the Holy Spirit works in and through us, we can't help but change. It's an incredible promise. Today, I have the opportunity to look at a really interesting interaction between Paul and some early church leaders. And as we walk through this interesting interaction, I want us to come to an understanding around authority. And we'll get to that here in, the, in a moment. But let's look at this issue. What was the issue and why did this meeting even happen? Well, Paul is addressing, again, these Judaizers, right? These folks that said, in addition to following Jesus, you have to follow the entire Jewish law. And this is an issue that we'll see today. Paul had to face it repeatedly over and over again throughout his entire public ministry. And even as he did so, Paul was really great about maintaining unity in the body as he walked this through. And he did so by ascribing authority to those uh, and honor to those in authority. It's an incredible thing that we'll see happen again over and over as we walk through this passage today. And it's actually our take-home point. And our take-home point is the one point that I'm going to seek to make that we'll live out today, and that's this. Honor leads to freedom and fruit. Honor leads to freedom and fruit. Now, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 today. Also, as you're online, you'll note a little tab that says notes. You can click on that. That'll show you all of the notes that I have for the message today. All the scripture will be there as well. 
and as I read it, it'll be posted on the screen. We're going to kind of look clause by clause, section, section by section, so we'll be bouncing around a bit. Those notes will be helpful. But before we get to all of that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to bow before you today. Lord, I pray as always that as we look into your word, that you would speak to our hearts, minister to our spirits, teach us who we are to be in you. Father, change and transform us as only you can. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Galatians chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 1. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. So 14 years after what is the question? Now, last week, Pastor Alex and I, if you haven't watched Pastor Alex's message, or even Pastor Chris's a couple weeks ago, I'd encourage you to go back and watch those. They have some really great content. But Pastor Alex last week walked us through sort of this timeline. So Paul comes to know Jesus, and then he goes to a place called Damascus, and he stays there for three years in solitude. Solitude, that's pretty incredible, right? What was he doing for three years? I think he was spending a tremendous amount of time with God and reworking so many things in his life. After that time, he goes up to Jerusalem. He spends 15 days with Peter, and then he also spends some time with James, who is the brother of Jesus. We're going to talk about him later here in a bit. And then after that, he begins his missionary journeys, as we read about in the book of Acts. He goes to Syria and Cilicia, and then we know from there he goes really all over the Roman Empire, and you can read about that again in the book of Acts. Now, in between these missionary journeys, we know that Paul occasionally would head back to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 11, he and Barnabas returned with some money. It's for famine relief, really. They're helping the poor. They, they took an offering from all of these other churches, Gentile churches, actually. Uh, some Jews were probably included. Uh, and they came back to Jerusalem to help those who needed some funding. Also, in Acts chapter 15, Paul is again on the scene in Jerusalem for what's known as the Jerusalem Council. The early church got together to address a pretty volatile issue. You know what the issue was? They were trying to decide if people, when they came to faith in Jesus, had to follow the entire Jewish law and if they needed to be circumcised. Sound familiar? Kind of like what we're walking through in this passage again today. And then we also know that in Acts 21, Paul makes his final trip to Jerusalem because uh, as he enters Jerusalem at that point, he's actually arrested, imprisoned, and then eventually he'll be shipped to Rome. So that's his final trip to Jerusalem. So which of these uh, return trips are they referencing? Is Paul referencing here in Galatians 2? Well, he says, I returned again, right? So that would imply that he already went at one point. So that was probably Acts 11 when he returned with funding. And so we think, we think, and the evidence is pretty clear that it's probably, and I'm using these words on purpose because we can't ultimately know for sure, but it's probably the Jerusalem council that Paul's referencing here. He goes back to Jerusalem in order to talk about the issue of should everyone have to follow the Jewish law and all of those sorts of things. Again, we can't say for certain, but it's a pretty good, the, the evidence lines up, right? So Paul continues, we're going to look at verses 2 and verse 2 here. So I went there, meaning Jerusalem, because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. 
I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. So here Paul defines the reason for his visit, right? It's divine revelation. And so as a, as a result of this revelation, Paul, it's clear to him that he needs to go to Jerusalem. And what is he going to talk about? Well, he's going to talk about how all these Gentiles are coming to know Jesus, which is incredible, right? And as we know, Gentiles, as we've learned in previous messages, but just a reminder, Gentiles are any uh, group of people who are not Jews, right? In the Jewish culture, you're either Jewish or you're a Gentile. So all of these were non-Jews. And so all these Gentiles are coming to know Jesus. And Paul's been faithfully preaching the same message now for a number of years, at least 14 from the passage as we read it today. So we know that Paul's been preaching this same message, but then there's this new message that's kind of infiltrating the, the ranks, so to speak, right? And what's this new message? Well, do folks also have to follow the law? And so Paul, as revealed by the Holy Spirit, is to go to Jerusalem to have a discussion about this. And as we've noted, Paul has never changed his message. The message throughout the entirety of his ministry has been, you need to know Jesus, that's it, full stop. Rather, it's the Judaizers who are adding to, right? And so Paul goes to Jerusalem to talk about the Gentiles who are coming to faith. Again, you can read about this in Acts 15. And as a result of all of this work, Paul needs to know, am I doing the right thing here, right? Or have I just run my race in vain? And it's at times like this, I think a lot of us have had times where we go, what should I do here? I love the way Mark Geffert phrases it. He just kind of pauses and goes, what to do? What to do? What should we do? And Paul does what Mark Geffert would recommend. He probably prayed about it because what's prayer? It's talking with God. And as you talk with God, God speaks. And through that revelation, Paul knew he had to go to Jerusalem. He had to talk with the early church leaders. Now, it's important to, manner, to note the manner in which Paul approached these leaders. He met with them privately. Why did he do that? Why did he meet with them privately? Because he was honoring them and their position. Frankly, he was honoring their authority. And what was the authority that these guys had? Well, we'll learn here in a minute who the folks are, but I'll, I'll let you know early. It's, uh, it's James, Peter, and John, right? These are the guys, and they were known as apostles. And what are apostles? Well, in Acts chapter 6, we learn that the apostles were appointed to pray, to preach the word of God. Paul himself would actually say later on that apostles, this is in Ephesians 4, their primary goal is to train and equip the saints for acts of service. Now, again, this group that he met with privately, Peter, James, and John. Now, Peter and John were part of the original 12 apostles that Jesus appointed, right? Jesus went up on a mountain in Luke, prayed all night, and then out of his disciples, he anoints or appoints 12 apostles. Of those 12, he had a very close relationship with three, Peter, James, and John. You're like, well, wait, you said Peter and John. That's right, because James and John are brothers. We learn about this in the Gospels, right? James and John, sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, they were called. But James, the brother of John, is actually killed by Herod in Acts chapter 11. So who's this James? Well, according to the Scripture, it's James, the brother of Jesus. So James, the brother of Jesus, becomes an apostle replaces James, the brother of John. And here's what's pretty incredible. We know from early church history that James, the brother of Jesus, actually was the head of the church in Jerusalem. 
So when Paul goes and meets with Peter and John and James, he is meeting with the leaders of the early church. These were the guys. Looking at verse 3, And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones, really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulation. Now, let's note the difference between how Paul approaches the leaders and what he calls false ones, and, and let's look at their approach as well. So Paul goes to the leaders, meets with them privately, right? He talks about what's going on. They met face to face. In response, Paul is supported, so much so that Titus, who's a Gentile, they don't even feel compelled to circumcise him. The false ones, in contrast, right? They don't, they don't do that. They don't meet with Paul face to face. Paul actually says that they infiltrate, right? Which implies some sort of secrecy. They spied, they spread false reports. Otherwise, how would these leaders have known? And their attempt in all of this was to sway the opinion of leadership. They wanted something to happen in their favor. No honor was given, and Paul actually responds very swiftly. He says in verse 5, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Now, this is interesting. What's Paul's motivation? Is, is Paul defending himself here? No. No, Paul's entire motivation is the message to the Gentiles. Why? Because Paul was a Jew. He knew what it was like to follow that entire law, and he wanted them to be free from that burden. Because of that, Paul stood firm and demanded that that message remain pure. Let's look at verse 6 through 10. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who are known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews." Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I was always and have been eager to do. So, Paul left triumphant, right? His message and his work were affirmed by the early church leadership. They also said that he and Barnabas were co-workers with them in this endeavor. They were to do for the Gentiles what these leaders were doing for the Jews. And, this is pretty incredible, they verified and confirmed that Paul was an equal with them, that he was an apostle. Just as Peter was an apostle to the Jews, so Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. The only recommendation, hey, make sure that you keep an eye on the poor, something that he was very eager to do. So why does any of this matter, right? Paul's writing about all of this in a letter that we know happened years later. Why is he even bringing this up to the Galatians? Well, it's important and it matters because Paul's saying, I already fought this battle, guys. This happened in Acts 15. I've already been through this. It was settled. We talked about what needed to happen and my message was affirmed. You don't need to follow the law. He'd already been down this road. In fact, he'd been down this road a couple of times. This happens in Acts 15. 
But as we know, Paul returns again to Jerusalem in Acts 21. And here's what we read in verses 18 through 25. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James, and all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. Sound familiar? After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. Again, sounds very familiar. After hearing this, they praised God, and then they said, You know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed, and they also follow the law of Moses very seriously. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you are teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their back on the laws of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow other Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. Here's what we want you to do. We have four men here who have completed their vow. Go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. Then everyone will know that the rumors are all false and that you yourself observe the Jewish laws. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Wait a minute, what happened? In Acts 15, we thought this was all, you know, kind of taken care of. So what happened? It appears that for Jewish Christians, this following of the law was still a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big stumbling block. Nothing new. In the years after the council, they continued to follow the law, and this stumbling block, stumbling, stumbling block persisted. You have to wonder, right? Paul talks later about a thorn in his flesh. Was this it? I have to wonder, was this it? Because he just couldn't seem to get out of this discussion over and over again. Now, church scholars differ on how we should interpret this passage. There's a couple of different ways to look at it. The first is the church leaders in this passage are saying to Paul, listen, we, we love you. We care about you. We know this shouldn't be a big deal, but here's where the folks are. Here's where our people are. And if you don't do these things, it's going to cause a riot. We don't necessarily agree with it, but here's kind of where they are. The other take is to say that the Judaizers had so infiltrated the ranks, right, of church leadership that they were telling Paul, hey, you have to do these things in order to, to be holy in our sight. Now, if I'm honest, I kind of like the first interpretation, and here's why. They, <clears throat> even if they are looking at the Jewish Christians, are very clear that the Gentiles don't have to follow this. So they're not as fanatic as the Judaizers are in Galatians, right? Because they want the Gentiles to follow it as well. Also, having worked in church ministry now for a couple of decades, I know that for a lot of pastors, we have to be very honest about where our, some folks in our congregation are, our church family. Now, I'm thankful that I get to be patient with folks because a lot of folks have been patient with me, right? But I think in this time and in this moment, they were saying, Paul, just do this, help us out, we're going to get past this. And here's the great thing, Paul does it. He does what, he, what they recommend. It actually leads to his arrest. Why did he do that? because again, he submitted to their authority. Now, I wish I could tell you this was Paul's last encounter with the Jewish law and the Judaizers, but it's not. Next week, we're going to read uh, Galatians 2, verse 11, and Paul actually has to confront Peter about this issue. At that point, the issue did go all the way to the top. And again, he met with him face to face. And think about this. Paul is currently in prison, right? writing this letter to the Galatians. How many years later? We don't know. But apparently, it's still not dead because he has to write this letter. 
So at this, if you're keeping count, this is at least four times that he's had to address this issue formally. We don't know how many times informally. I don't know how Paul's head didn't blow off of his shoulders, if I'm honest, right? The, the words of Rodney Dangerfield kept running through my head. You know, I don't get no respect. But Paul, oh my gosh, just persevered through all of this. And you got to think, why won't this movement just die? Why won't it just die? And here's the crazy thing. Paul's an apostle, just like John, just like Peter. He's a leader, just like James. And he was appointed by God himself as an apostle, right? We read, as Paul went on the road to Damascus, that Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting my church? You will be an apostle to the Gentiles. And then it was affirmed by church leadership, by those in authority, that, yeah, you are an apostle just like us. Now, here's the great thing about Paul. He doesn't care about that, right? God doesn't show favorites. He only cares about God's affirmation. But certainly the church backing wouldn't have hurt. So why is the honor that Paul shows those men not also ascribed to him? Why is it not also ascribed to him? In early 2020, I read a book called Honor's Reward. It's by a guy named John Bevere. I would encourage you right now as you're on your computer, Google Honor's Reward by John, Re John Bevere. It's a black book, has a big H on the front of it. And I would tell you right now, order it. Just order it right now because it is the best book I've ever read on the biblical concept and application of honor. It's the best book I've ever read. And here's what Bevere says. We kind of stink at honor. Now, I have some comfort because apparently it's been happening for generations, right? If they couldn't honor Paul, then it's no surprise that sometimes we struggle with honor as well. But we're not the first to miss this aspect of our faith. Here's what Bevere says. He defines honor as to value, to esteem, to respect, to treat favorably, to have high regard for. Conversely, he defines dishonor as to treat as common, ordinary, or menial. So when we reflect upon the action of both the Judaizers and the Gentiles, the Galatians really, in this particular passage, we can see that they thought Paul was fairly ordinary. What's boggling is that Paul throughout his ministry does nothing but show honor to those in authority and yet doesn't receive it himself. Thankfully, Paul never really much cared about what others thought. He never much cared about that. Bevere makes the argument that when we honor, we receive a reward from God, our Father. Thus, the title of his book, Honor's Reward. So, if we're to understand this, and I think Paul understood it, then he knew that his reward wasn't from man. It was from God. That's why he didn't much care. And what was Paul's reward? Well, let's think about it. Paul his reward was he got to go on far-flung missionary journeys to travel all over the known world. Uh, he was also shipwrecked, and he was beaten. Uh, then he made a final trip to Jerusalem, where he was arrested, imprisoned, shipped to Rome, where he lived probably in near exile in a prison where he wrote letters to the churches that he had helped found. Oh, and that it was all capped off by the, uh, his martyrdom, probably in a Roman Colosseum where his head was chopped off before the public. And you're thinking, wait a minute, what's the reward? Well, what's our take-home point? Honor leads to freedom and to fruit. That's Paul's reward, freedom and fruit. Let's look at the fruit first. Paul, while he is in prison, wrote letters to the churches that he helped found. 
Those letters are now, if you look at your Bible in the New Testament, those letters contain and comprise most of the New Testament. So Paul wrote a tremendous amount that we rely on even to this day. In fact, it could be argued that outside of Jesus, very few, if any, have had more impact on the Christian faith than the Apostle Paul. I don't know how many have come to faith as a result of his words, but I know it's got to be in the millions or billions. That's some fruit. What about the freedom part? Well, you're watching online today, and that's great, but if, you were, if we were still following the Jewish law, as the Judaizers said we should, then many of you would be coming in, perhaps later today, perhaps sometime this week, to sacrifice your sheep or to bring your offering before the Lord. And Are any of you going to do that this week? Any of you going to bring it in and Pastor Chris and I are out back just sacrificing animals? Guys, while you're there, we would have to ask you like, uh, hey, how's your, uh, how's your circumcision? Anybody been asked that lately? Thankfully not, right? We don't have to do any of those things. Why? Well, what happened to the movement? It went the way of all movements that don't honor God, that don't fear Him, and aren't honoring to authority. It died. It died. Now, did it die in Paul's lifetime? No, but it died. Because of his words and his influence, we get to live in freedom. That was Paul's part of Paul's legacy for us. Remember, honor leads to freedom and to fruit. By his words and actions, Paul set a standard that we would be very, very wise to follow, right? <clears throat> And as with all practice, <clears throat> it's not something we can do on our own, right? It's a divine practice, really. It's not something that we can do on our own. We can only do this as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, as He changes and transforms us into entirely new creations. And as we do so, then we can begin to ascribe honor to those in authority. And you're saying, well, Pastor Barry, who is in authority? To whom should I ascribe honor, and how do I do that? Well, Bevere says that to honor those in authority, there are four key areas in our lives. There's civil, which is government, church, pastors and leaders, family, your family, right? And social, which is coaches and teachers and bosses. So we are to ascribe honor to all of those folks who are in authority in our lives. Now, if you're like me, you read that list and go, some of that's easy and I don't like some of that. That's okay. God oftentimes calls us to things that we don't always love. And how do we do it? Well, I think there are a couple practical steps that we can take in order to honor. Here are some steps to honor. First, pray for those in authority in your life and pray for God to lead them. This is straight out of Romans 13. Pray for those in authority in your life and pray for God to lead them. So yes, that means that we ought to pray for those in government. Yes, we ought to pray over our families. Yes, we ought to pray for our bosses, our teachers, and our coaches. And yes, as one of your pastors, I would implore you, pray for us. Pray for the leaders of this church that God would lead us and guide us and direct us. Also, pray for the ability to honor those in authority. This is where the rubber kind of meets the road, right? Because Bevere makes it very clear that whereas all authority is of God, not all authority is godly. And that's a challenge. Now, if I'm honest, most of the time when I have an issue with authority, it's because I don't agree with it. Here's what I mean. Whenever something happens that I don't like, I ask a simple question in my mind. Do I not like this because I don't like it or because it's a sin issue? 
Now, if it's a sin issue, which is about 1% or less of the time, we'll address that here in a moment. But for the 99%, it's usually the fact that it's not the way I would do it, or it's not the way that I would like for it to be done. And whenever I don't agree, and it's not a sin issue, here are my options. One, I can disobey, and I can not honor that authority, or I can just get over myself. Those are the options. And how do I get over myself? Well, it's helpful when I'm praying that I have the ability to do so. I've also found it's very helpful to think through this as well. Before I speak or before I act or even before I think through things, I have to say, Lord, is what I'm about to think, say, do going to bring honor to this authority in my life? That has caused me to do, not do, a tremendous amount of things. The third step is when necessary, this is that 1% of the time, confront appropriately. Now, that probably means it's a sin issue, and that means that there's going to have to be a confrontation, and it needs to be done, as Paul did today, face-to-face and privately. Here's what we don't do. We don't do what the Judaizers did. We don't infiltrate the false ones, right? We don't infiltrate. We don't sneak about. We don't whisper. We don't post it on Facebook. We don't do these sorts of things because those aren't honoring, and they're especially not honoring to the authorities in our lives. Paul met with leaders face-to-face. And he did so in order to ascribe honor to them. It's not easy. I understand that. But it is certainly the right and biblical thing to do. Finally, we wait for the reward. Now, obviously, when we hear reward, we think of like Christmas or a work bonus. And sometimes God does that. He blesses those who honor authorities. And sometimes the reward is what Paul got. And here's the great thing about that. It produced great freedom and fruit. Remember, honor leads to freedom and fruit. As we lay ourselves before Jesus, he gets to tell us what to do. And as we do that this week, we'll be living out our next step, which is I will honor those in authority this week. Because here's the deal, friends. We all submit to authority. Jesus himself submitted to the authority of the Father. And we also submit to the authority of Jesus. And actually, it says in Philippians 2 that one day we will all bow a knee before Jesus. So if you've yet to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, why not today? I know in our culture, the thought of submitting is not something that comes naturally. That's okay, because by the power of the Holy Spirit, God allows us to submit supernaturally. And in a moment here, we're going to pray. And as we pray, I would ask that the Lord would move by his Holy Spirit in your life if you've yet to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. Again, if you haven't, why not today? We say that here at New Life, it's simple, but not easy. It's as simple as A, B, C. Admit, believe, confess. Admit, believe, admit is that to admit that simply that we're sinners, that we need a Savior in our lives. Believe, we believe that Jesus is who he says he was, that he is the Savior and Lord of our lives. And because of that, he has the right to tell us what to do. C is to confess. We confess our sin to the Lord, not just that we are in need of him to come in and cleanse us out. We do need that, but also that we need him to lead and guide us to be Savior and Lord of our lives. If that's you here today, in a moment when I pray, 
I would ask that you would commit your heart to the Lord, and also, as you're online, that you would let us know. You can have an opportunity to click a button that says you committed your life to Jesus, and someone will follow up with you. For those of us who are Christians, who are believers, this is a challenging message. It states that we are to submit to the authority in our lives, and that we're to do that in an appropriate and honoring way. And so as I pray for us this morning, I will also pray that we would be able to take these words, that we would internalize them, and that ultimately we would live them out in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I praise you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge, for the correction that it is to all of us. Lord, I pray for anyone in online today who does not yet know you. Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would speak to their heart and they would simply say, Jesus, come into my life. Cleanse me, renew me, restore me. I lay it all before you. Lead and guide me as only you can. Be my Savior and be my Lord this day. Lord, for those of us who do know you, I pray that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would begin to strengthen us, to encourage us, and if necessary, to convict to convict us about the authorities in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would honor them as we only can through you and that we would live it out in the days and weeks to come. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Apostle Paul who was so faithful. And because of him, Father God, we know a great deal about what it is to live a faithful and holy life. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Have a blessed week.